So I'd love it if you have a Bible and you turn to the first um, book of the Bible, to Genesis, and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 37. And uh, excited to be in the middle of a series of talks um, that we've called Life in Technicolor or Technicolor Life. And uh, it's a series of talks on the life of Joseph, and it's profound and important, not just because Joseph looks an awful lot like Jesus at times, but actually because Joseph looks an awful lot like you. Joseph looks an awful lot like some of the things that you're going to go through, some of the stuff that you're going to experience, some of the challenges that you're going to face. And last week, we, we took, took a look at the fact that God has placed a dream inside every single one of our hearts and lives. And for some of us, the dream is not very clear right now. And for some of us, we've got a hint of the dream and we're not even close to living out the dream. But God has placed the dream inside your heart, your best you, your why, if you like, the reason that you exist. And, and God is wanting to, to take you to your destiny in God. Your dream is not your destiny. Your dream is the possibility of your destiny, the hope of your destiny, the provocation of your destiny, but it's not your destiny. You see, your dream still has you at the center of it. Your destiny has God at the center of it. And there is this long journey between the dream that God placed in you and the destiny that God has for you, and it's the journey of your life. And it's a difficult journey. And there is a vehicle that carries you from the dream to the destiny. The vehicle is called your character. And God, like a, a metal worker, is working on your character. He is bending you. He is etching you. He is changing you, transforming you, molding you, so that you get to carry the dream to the destiny. And today we're going to take a look at, at what happens when it all seems to go pear-shaped. Today we're going to take a look at what, it, what, it, what happens when God seems distant, when the dream seems distant, when it, when, it, when it doesn't seem as if you're ever going to make it to the end. When, where is God in all that stuff? Genesis chapter 37. I'm, uh, today's Father's Day. I'm a dad um, of four daughters. I was about to say four teenage daughters, but that would have been about five years ago. Um, I'm a father of, of, of four daughters, and it's, and it's like the best and the hardest job in all the world. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I know that Father's Day is difficult for some, um, but fathering is difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's like, I describe it as like that whack-a-mole game. Not that you hit your kids on the head with, with hammers or anything like that, but, but it's, it's, you, know, you, sort of, you, you think you've got them all, and then someone pops up, and you sort that out, bang, and then that's okay, and then this one pops up, and then they all pop up at the same time. And you're kind of always trying to, uh, to, to, to get it right and get it sorted. It's, it is an incredible privilege. Uh, I'm a dad, not actually because I have biological children, but because I father my biological children. There's a difference, isn't there? I'm not just a dad because I have kids. I'm a dad because I, I father them. I, I try and do my limited best for them. I try and care for them. I try and be some kind of role model for them. I, I, I attempt to help them grow up. I, I, I sacrifice for them. I, I provide an environment for their flourishing. And, and, and I have other children that are not my children. 
which when I said this morning, that sounds quite dodgy when I, when I wrote it. I, didn't, I don't mean anything bad. I just mean I have children that are not my biological children. I have children that I try and provoke and encourage and challenge and help, help get from their dream to their destiny. They, they need fathering. See, whether you are a father or not is not dependent on whether you have biological children. The, the most difficult thing about parenting for me has always been the discipline thing. I don't mean I'm not disciplined. I mean disciplining them. You know, because I, 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 find, I don't know if this resonates with any of you who are, who are parents, but I find that I either get ridiculously angry about things that I shouldn't get angry about because it's so frustrating. Or they do things that are really bad and I just find it funny. You know, and, and that was the worst bit because the girls kind of knew that I was going to laugh and so they, 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 they took turns in trying to do something bad and then trying to make me laugh and, and, and I couldn't discipline. I couldn't discipline them because the disciplining thing is, is really hard. But here's the thing. I think I am most obviously their father when in love I am disciplining them. By which I mean, if, if there's a crowd of people and there are lots of kids around, you, you can't really tell sometimes who's the mother and who's the father and who, who are just the uncles and aunties and friends until the child needs disciplining. And then you notice who the parents are. Today, what we're going to remember is that the primary personality of God as he relates to us is Father. Which is the crazy thing, isn't it? That the creator of the universe, the one who has all power, who can do anything, decides that the way he is going to relate to us is as a father to children. And here's the thing. He is never more loving as a dad than when he is disciplining us. He is, if there is a message that a generation needs to hear, it's this. He is never more loving to us than when he wants to discipline us. I'll tell you why. Because if you're going to get from the dream that he's placed in your heart to the destiny that he has for your life, it's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some cutting out of some stuff that doesn't belong in your destiny. It's going to take some truth speaking into your life so you can get to your destiny. It's going to take some correction, not because he's punishing you, but because he's forming you. He's challenging you. He's encouraging you to become the person that he wants you to be. Father God has a journey for your life, and it's not a straight route. It's not like this flat route. It's not, it's not a super highway with, with tarmac. It's sometimes off-road. It, 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 it's up and, and it's down. It's technicolor. It's, it's life in all its fullness. The ups and downs, the joys and the sorrows. And the reason that it's that way is because it's an opposed journey. It's, 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 like it's an opposed journey. It's not like easy driving, an easy riding. It's an opposed journey. The, the scripture talks about opposition. Often. 
And, and traditionally, the scripture talks about our opposition on this journey comes from three places, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You'll, you'll find it in a number of places in scripture, particularly in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says this, you were dead in your sins, the flesh, in which you used to live following the ways of the world, the world, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, the devil. So there is this opposition on your, on your journey and it comes from the world. Of course it does. If we live in a world that's turned its back on God and says that God doesn't exist and if he does exist he's some kind of ogre, then of course it lives doing things and acting in ways that are inconsistent with God. So it's going to be really difficult if you're trying to walk with God not to be opposed by the world. It is. The flesh, of, of course. Of course, of, of course you bought it on yourself. Some of the opposition, you know, it's very easy for us to point the finger at everybody else and say this person and that person and that thing. But, but oftentimes, you just did stupid. Because you ignored the wisdom of the wisdom creator. You said, I can handle life, thank you very much, I've got it all sorted, I can deal with it. And you find yourself in a pit. And of course, the, the, the devil, there is, if the devil has a job description... It's to oppose your journey from your dream to your destiny. If the devil has a job description, it's to oppose the good things of God in you. He wants to derail you. He wants to get you stuck in your dream where you're at the center of your world and never reach your destiny where God is at the center of your world and other people are blessed by your world. He's, of course, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But here, here's the question I want to leave you with tonight. What if... The greatest roadblock on the journey from your dream to your destiny is the roadblock set by your heavenly father. What, what, if, what if the greatest reason why you end up in a pit on the journey from your dream to your destiny is that your heavenly father put you there? to test you let's let's read from from the scripture from genesis 37 and, and you remember joseph in genesis 37 is is a, is a spoiled brat he's got a coat of many colors he's the favorite of his dad he's lording it over his older brothers and quite frankly he deserves a slap you know, in every way, he's the most annoying of, of kids, just, you know. And, and then we read this story. We're going to read it quite quickly so we can get into the meat of what I think the Lord has to say. But we read this, verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then there's this whole conversation that goes on which shows you that the Bible is true because it's completely irrelevant and doesn't get us to the narrative. And then verse 18, 17. So Joseph went after his brothers. He finds them in a different place. And verse 18, they saw him at a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. 
When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. What if that pit thing was all part of God's plan? To get Joseph, the dreamer, to his destiny. What if God is the one who roadblocks your path, who makes things difficult for you at times because he wants to test you, train you, prove you, provoke you, and prepare you for what he has for you? What if it's not just you or the world or, or the devil or anybody? What if, what if God is in, in, in the middle of this, not because he wants to punish us, because he wants to prove us, because he wants to test us, because he loves us, because he wants to grow us. What if sometimes these tests put you in a pit? So, so Joseph has these dreams, and you know they, they sound arrogant, but actually they're pretty legitimate dreams because God gave him the dreams. And he shared them too early, and he shared them with the wrong people, and, and, and one day those dreams are going to come true. <laughs> One day those ridiculous dreams are going to come true, but only because he goes through these tests that puts iron into his soul. It's just, just pause for, for a moment. There, there are one or two of you here that are kind of my age. Experienced, I like to call it. And, and those of us who experienced, how many of you know that that although you don't like being in the pit, although you like, don't, don't like being in the, in, in the hard place, in the dark place, in the difficult space, that actually when you come out of the pit, when you come out of the dark place, you look back and you go, actually, I learned more there 
<laughs> than I did when everything was rosy. Isn't that true? That actually that there is more experience to be gained. There is more life to be gained. There is more honing of your character. There is more potential for your future in that place than in many of the other successes that you experienced. Why did you grow? Answer, here it is. Because God was in the pit with you. I mean, you might be in a pit because someone threw you there, because life chucked you there, because you found yourself there, because the enemy trapped you there, or God stuck you there, but God is in the pit with you. Your pit might be a relational pit, a financial pit, a career pit, a future pit, or, or, or any other kind of a health pit, but he is in there with you, working for your good, working out your purposes, trying to get you from the thing that he placed in your heart, where you're at the center of your world, to the thing that he has for your future, where he is at the center of your life. And just in case you think I'm making this whole deal up because it preaches, come with me to the back end of Joseph's story. Because Joseph goes from being this, this arrogant brat who nobody likes to being second in command of the biggest superpower of the day and to saving a generation. And, 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 and the, the commentary that goes with it is quite remarkable. Genesis 45, verse, verse 5. Joseph stands before his brothers, the one that put him in the pit. And they're petrified for their lives because you know what brothers are like. One day, they're going to get you back for the thing that you did to them. They have long memories. And, and, and look, look at what the scripture says in, in Genesis 45 verse 5. Joseph stands before his brothers who are afraid of him and, and he says this, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I mean, if you've read that before, you think, well, that's what the scripture says. But, but pause. God sent me ahead of you. Not, not you did this thing and God somehow redeemed this thing and made it good because he's God. No, no, no. No, God sent me ahead of you. And actually, what we know is he used a pit and some Midianites. Ishmaelites, I think. Someites. To make, the whole deal, to make the whole deal happen. Just in case you think that's an anomaly, go, go to uh, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19 and, and, and 20. Because what we've got here is that the Jacob, the dad, is now dead. And, and the brothers are frightened again. I think they think that now dad's out of the way, <laughs> Joseph is going to wreak his revenge. Dad's gone. We don't have to worry. All, all the gloves are off. We're going to go for it now. And, and Joseph, who is like, almost the king is going to kill the brothers and he says this don't be afraid you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives 
God intended the pit. He intended the prison. He intended the years of the etching of the soul so that somehow iron would come into Joseph's soul so he could take the dreamer and put him in his destiny so that many, many people could be saved. God is not just somehow involved in it. He's actively involved in some of the pits of your life working his purposes out because he gave you the dream and he's involved and invested in your destiny so much so that he that he has to love you with discipline i told some of you this before but but um, father's day um, is always a reminder for my for me it's a reminder for many of us who've lost our dads my dad died nine years ago, and uh, it was very quick. Um, from the moment that he was diagnosed to, to the moment he died, it was about a week. And I, uh, he died of, of cancer, and, um, and just about three months afterwards, I went to a conference. And I sat at this conference, and a guy I hardly knew at all, um, he knew something about my dad, but he gave me this post-it note and said, I've been praying for you and I feel God wants to say this to you. And the, the note he gave me was this. It said this, love your dad, grieve for your dad, but live for your heavenly father. And that's, that's, I still have that note somewhere in one of my Bibles. I, um, there is something very precious about having a good dad, isn't there? And there is something incredibly precious about being a dad. It's, a, it's an incredible privilege. But there is a, a reality that far outweighs both of those things. And that is the moment that you realize that your heavenly father comes in the skin of a dad. And he is not the reflection or some kind of amalgamized reflection of, of, of earthly fatherhood. He is the perfection of fatherhood. And he loves you and he's your dad. And here's the thing, that a significant aspect of his love is his discipline. His eye is on you. His heart is for you. And he's already invested so much in you that he has to get you from your dream to your destiny. And he knows that there are tests on the way and there is proving on the way and there is discipline on the way and there is iron that needs to come into your soul and there is stuff that needs to cut out and there are questions that need to be asked and there are challenges that need to come because you're never going to make it. Unless you go through the pit. The pit is there to prove you, not to punish you. And so the Father's first test is designed to deal with your pride. And it's really important because your pride will rob you of your destiny. Pride is, is basically the part of your life where you are at the center of your life. And everything else is secondary. Pride is a poison and, and it will keep you in your dream and it will mean you never ever get to your destiny or prevent your journey because pride is an identity issue. And your destiny is attached to your identity. In other words, you can't live what you're for if you don't get 
who you are. You can't live what you're for if you, if you don't understand who you are and if you think that you're this and you're at the center of your world and everything revolves around you, you can never be that. You can never walk in that. You can never live that. Pride has its root in insecurity. And insecurity will keep you at the center of your world. Jealous of everybody else's world, judging everybody else's world, competitive with everybody else's world. And you'll never be free to be the person God called you to be. The pit is designed to get the false you out of you and the true you in you so you can become the real you and walk in your destiny. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult because it's going to point out some stuff that you don't want pointed out. Pride comes in a number of different guises, doesn't it? There's, there's obvious pride. Joseph has obvious pride, doesn't he? I mean, he's, I don't know, but I don't know what you, you imagine, but Joseph, in my mind, struts. He does, doesn't he? He struts. He's got this multicolored coat, and I'm dad's favorite, and you're not. And I've got a dream, and the dream is incredibly attractive for me because you're bowing down. To, there's this incredible narrative that goes on with, with Joseph. It's incredibly obvious that he is prideful, but notice that his brothers are also prideful. Their, their pride evidences itself in jealousy and bitterness and rage and competition and. It's like the, the inverse of Joseph, but it's exactly the same issue. Totally insecure, totally at the center of their world. It's all about them. Their pit is going to come, by the way. Joseph is here. So your pit humbles you if you let it. Your pit prunes you if you let it. Your pit purifies you if you let it. Your, your pit brings you to the end of yourself if you will let it. Your pit brings you into the arms of God if you will let it. Your pit will remind you of who you really are, of where you really came from, that you're a sinner in the hands of a loving God. That's, that's what your pit is about, is to tell you who you are so that you might become who you might be. In your pit, you have an opportunity to submit your ego to God. Oh, so it's actually not about me. It's actually about you. In, in your pit, you, you have an opportunity to cry out to God, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you release me? Would you, would you heal me? In, in, in the pit, if you choose to, you're going to learn dependence over independence. Uh, it's, it's Father's Day, so I, I'm, I'd love to talk to the, the men in the room, if that's okay. So girls, you get to listen in, but I'd like to, I'd like to talk um, to the men. And I, I've struggled with knowing exactly how to, how to talk about this, because it may not be, um, well, it's definitely not something that, that it's easy to do these days. But, but you know what, here's, here's the thing that I have in my heart. Growing up as a man is really hard today. I mean, it's not that it's been easy, ever, but I think we're in a really difficult moment for, for young men to work out who they are. What does it mean to be 
a man. What is a man? Pride is a thing for us. Insecurity is a bigger thing for us. It's really hard to know what it, what it means to be a man. And, and part of the problem is the, the way in which men for generations have led and used and wielded power has been horrible, manipulative, sometimes evil. And, and therefore we don't want anything to do with that. But we don't know what it means for, for a man to lead. Or, or what does it mean for a man to be a man? The role models we have are not particularly good and there aren't particularly many of them that we'd even want to talk about. The message that is implicit is that men are the problem. And, and you know, that's totally understandable, but it's also totally destructive for young men growing up. How do you, how do you take hold of your destiny without making the mistakes of the past? How do you begin to walk in your anointing what does that look like? Traditional roles, quite rightly, have, have changed. Have shifted. Absolutely rightly, they've shifted. You know, my, I was joking this morning about my grandfather. My grandfather was a lovely guy, um, but he, he was a cobbler. And he went off to work at 8 o'clock in the morning, and he came back at lunchtime, and he wanted his food on the table at lunchtime. And, you know... He had a good relationship with my grandma, but if the food wasn't on the table at lunchtime, there were problems. Uh, you know, he was annoyed about the whole deal. And then he would come home at five o'clock in the evening and he wanted his food on the table at five o'clock in the evening. And there was a, a definite and weird and sexist division of labor and authority in, in the house. And thank God that's not the way we operate today. But, but, but generic stereotypes haven't all shifted what, is, when, when, what does it mean to man up? What, is, what, what even is that? What, is that? what does that look like for young men? For you? And so what I, what I see, if I'm honest, is a lot of confused young men, a lot of passivity, a lot of not taking hold of destiny, a lot of sitting in dreams or even denying of dreams because you're not sure what, how to even get the character to be able to walk this walk. And so you sit on the edge, actually literally sit on the edge of places like church. And you look in. And, and, and God says, that's not who I made you to be and it's not what I called you. I get the right to call you. And I name you for adventure and I name you for destiny. And I name you for calling and not passivity. Pornography is, has always been a huge thing. But now it's everywhere. I mean, like it's, if we're being serious, it's in this room right now. You can sit on your phone and you can pluck any image out of this. Out of, out of this. How do you raise a generation of young men who will keep their ways Pure. I'm not sure our society knows what it truly means to be a man. So here's, here's my one thought. It's not perfect in any way, shape, or form. Jesus is the model of perfect humanity. So he's also the model of perfect masculinity. And when you look at Jesus, he is a servant leader, a truth teller. He is compassionate and kind. He is full of grace. He is morally unswerving. 
he's a worshipper. And a man of justice as well as integrity. Jesus is the model. And, 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 and that's great. But even better, you have a father. You have a father who loves you and calls out the best in you and names you and positions you and provides for you and protects you and has invested everything he has in getting you from the dream, even though it's embryonic, that he's placed in your heart to be the man of God that he's called you to be, to get you to your destiny that changes lives all around you with the character of Jesus, of kindness and compassion and grace and mercy and truth and right righteousness and justice that's what he's doing with you you have a father it's gonna take some tests it's gonna take some pits it's gonna take a father and this is how he fathers and this is how we're called to father the total security of his love for us. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. He's not about to turn his back on you. He accepts you as you are. The total security of his love for you and the focused pursuit of his discipline for your life so you can get to your destiny. Guys, girls... Your destiny will never be realized until you let him lift you. You let him discipline you. You let him prune you. You let him heal you. You let him forgive you. You let him restore you, empower you. You let him, you let him, you let him. Whether it's in the pit or on the mountain, you let him father you. That's the way. You see, if you, if you will conquer pride with humility, then you will reach your destiny. If you will conquer pride with, with, with humility, humility is, by the way, not the thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's not you thinking you're a worm and you can't make it and you're never going to be it and you're a scum and you're, you know all your sin and it's awful and you're filthy. It's, it, it, it's not that. It's not thinking, you're amazing, you're gifted, you're called, you're princes and princesses, you're sons and daughters of the living God. There is nothing that he has placed in you and called you to that you cannot do. All that stuff is true. But, but, but humility is thinking of yourself less. It's you moving out of the center of your world where you're thinking about yourself the whole time and judging yourself according to everybody else and you're a constant narrative in your own head about who you are and how you're going to amount to who you might be one day. And getting to a point when what you think about is God and his purposes, his future and his love for you. And suddenly your life becomes about everybody else. That's Joseph's journey. If you will conquer pride with humility, then you will reach your destiny. But you've got to let him father you. And it takes a pit. So what do you do when you're in a pit? What do you do when your finances don't work, when your relationships don't work, when, when people seem to ignore you, when you talk about your dream and they try and put you to death for your dream? 
what do you do? Well, two things. You take responsibility. You come to the end of yourself and say, I can't make that thing happen. I was never meant to. Only God can do this thing. And I submit myself to his proving purposes. And you let him father you. That the pit only does its work when you recognize that you're the project, nobody else. It's about me. It's about my stuff. And you cry out to God. God, I can't do this. I can't make it happen. I can't do that and I can't do this. But I don't believe you placed that in my heart and you have that for my life unless you're going to do something out of this pit. I need you. And you need to know this. The Father still loves you. The pit did not change in any sense of the word the love of Joseph's father for him. Did it? He's saying, I want to go down to the pit. I can't. This is the end of my life. The pit didn't change in any sense of the word of Joseph's father's love for him. Let me assure you, your pit moment has not changed the love and affection of your heavenly father for you. Jesus went into a pit. In fact, the scriptures say the Father sent him to a pit. The the cross and the tomb is Jesus' pit. That's what his fathering looks like for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he's willing to risk to get you from your dream to your destiny. To make sure that you live fully life. Now and in all eternity. And Jesus went into a pit. And the father didn't leave him there. So he's not about to leave you there. The father didn't leave Jesus there. And he's not about to leave you there. But he is fixing on getting you to your destiny. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray for those of us who feel that we're right now in a pit. I pray that you would give us the Father's perspective on why we're there and the courage to cry out so that we might eventually walk in our destiny. And I pray for those of us who struggle to accept or embrace the Father's discipline because we have never embraced the Father's love.
And I pray, Father, that even in these moments, there'll be people all over this room who would be getting the Father's love for them. Come, Holy Spirit. Mediate the love of the Father to your children. And Father, I pray for those of us who need to still deal with pride because we live in insecurity. We're still at the center of our world and we're still self-referencing the whole time and it's still all about us that you would do the work you need to do to get you at the center of our world and to make our lives a blessing to others. Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you bring the loving discipline of the Father to bear on our fragile lives? Thank you that you are gentle, generous, and kind. Thank you that you're also truth, justice, and righteousness.